Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. Bishop Jeffrey M. Monforton, Bishop of the Diocese of Steubenville, giving a talk on vocations, sponsored by the Residence Life Department and Franciscan University of Steubenville. As I've mentioned to a number of people, I consider myself quite, quite blessed as a bishop to have Franciscan University within my pastoral footprint, so to speak, and I'm grateful. But this year also has given me opportunity to reflect on my priesthood, but also prior to my priesthood, and some of these stories actually became part of my homilies this, these past 13, almost 14 months now. Now, obviously, priests don't come out of the ground. Uh, our heads may be rocked sometimes, but we won't go there, even though I just did. The, uh, I grew up outside of Detroit, and we had no Catholic school near where I had grown up, so I'm a product of public schools, uh, K through 12. Now back in the 60s into the 70s and early 80s, the schools had some very strong discipline programs there. Some of them unfortunately has changed since then, but we had a very fine program, and most of my friends in the area where I grew up, part of the great diaspora from Detroit after the uh, World War II and the Korean conflict, were Catholics that moved out there. So most of my friends were Catholics, and I'm grateful for that. My vocation, though, began at home. And as I mentioned yesterday, this, this past weekend, I was in the city of Gallipolis, three and a half hours south of here, as well as Marietta, the next day as well as our own cathedral here. And I spoke about marriage. We celebrated anniversaries. And I indicated that my vocation was crafted through how my father treated my mother. How does, of course, the priest treat his church? How does the bishop treat his church? Does he love them? And I had a chance to see the interaction between my mom and my dad. So that, that's where it began. And certainly we were a devout family. And I'm grateful. My mom, of course, those were the days that dad would be at work 9 to 5. And so like Good Friday, we'd head over to church for... Uh, services for, for the uh, passion service as well as going to confession whether we thought we needed it or not and um, I look back now I needed it certainly so but and of course no one was going outside between 12 and 3 so those things resonate in my mind but I was a you know growing up an adolescent like any other my friends we had a chance to play a lot of sports uh, be parts of different clubs honor society all of that and then I went to college, and I thought I was going to be a doctor. And I studied, began studying pre-med, which turned into studying also business as well at Wayne State University. And like my friends, we dated. We had a chance to go out, maybe double date, go to a ball game or catch a movie, go out to a dinner. Um, the way some people would have saw, saw my life was maybe somewhat uneventful or certainly not necessarily notable, which is fine. I, I like normal. But <clears throat> we go back to eighth grade. I recall my grandmothers asking me whether or not I thought about becoming a priest. And I said, well, not really. I never played mass at home, which a lot of priests did do that when they were growing up. Uh, so okay, there it is. Well, the seed began to germinate. And then even when I was graduating from high school, before I went to Wayne State University, my dad took me to Sacred Heart Seminary. 
to see if maybe that's where I wanted to enroll as a freshman. And I went there, walked around. I was impressed with the college uh, seminary there. It was before it became a major seminary. I didn't think, you know, I, I did, this doesn't seem like this is for me. But at least I had a chance to visit. Well, God got me at that point. Because even though, like I said, I dated after high school, that thought, idea, still kept on revisiting me. I wouldn't say haunting me. It was just kept on visiting me in mind and heart. And ultimately, and I can tell you right now the exact date, uh, February 28th, 1986, my girlfriend and I, we broke up. And it, this was my chance to see just where my trajectory was going. I had visited with a priest friend, asking him if he would be willing to sponsor me. He was actually, he's actually a high school classmate of my mother and he entered the seminary. And he was willing to do that, and my pastor was willing to sponsor me as well. So we got, we got the ball rolling, so to speak. And then it was in the summer when I was accepted by Sacred Heart and transferred my credits over from Wayne State University and quit my job, which I was doing that as well, and entered the seminary in late August. And then thus began the discernment process of the early years. And there were days I'd wake up in the morning saying, boy, this is great, I am going to be a priest. The next day it's like, well, I don't know. It's, you know. But that's, that's part of the discernment process. I thought I could be a good husband and a good dad. And I believed I could be a good priest. And Jesus' response was, good. Because I had a chance, as discernment is defined, choosing between two goods. I'm not good at anything else so I can become a priest. No, that's not going to cut it. I don't think I could ever be married. I would be a mean person. Well, I don't, don't want you in the seminary as a rector either, if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, those, so many of those attributes are similar, if not the same, when it comes to being a husband and a dad. Thus, my dad and my mom obviously nurturing my vocation as a priest. Now for divine providence, when it comes to, we're not alone. And we also have the saints that do help us out from time to time, their intercession. And, uh, some of you may know, I have a special affinity for Saint Therese of Lisieux, to the point that her name is mentioned in the papal bull announcing me bishop by Pope Benedict. It's the Sacred Heart and St. Therese of Lisieux are named in there. It does help to have a friend who actually is the writer in Rome for the papal bulls. I just thought I'd never use him. He was actually a faculty member of mine and he got plucked. He was a priest, he still is a priest of Gaylord, Monsignor Dan Gallagher, a very fine man. And he um, emailed me when the announcement was made and he goes, what do you want in there? <laughs> Certain things have to be in there, of course. So th that was a particular, a particular story. And the funny part is Archbishop Neinstead was the one who preached the homily at my ordination here at the Finnegan Fieldhouse. And when the Apostolic Nuncio read in English my papal bull, he mentioned, of course, Sacred Heart of Jesus as well as St. Therese of Lisieux. And I was within eyesight line of sight with Archbishop Neinstead and he smiled and just shook his head 
because he has the same two in his papal bull as a bishop when he became auxiliary bishop of Detroit back in 1986. Well, it so happened that the, um, when I was in my final year of the seminary, we talk about, you know, we talk about having guardian angels, but we also have guardian saints. Sometimes we just don't know it and they were there all along. My license thesis, which would be uh, the equivalent of a master's thesis, plus the uh, classes have been completed for a doctorate. You just haven't written the book yet. And my area is spirituality, and I was studying under the Jesuits at the Gregorian University in Rome. I was finishing my fifth year as a seminarian in theology back then in Detroit. It was a five-year program for theology before you were ordained a priest because the guys who were studying stateside, third year of theology was parish internship, which there's great value to that. And for us who were over in Rome, there were a couple of us. Uh, I helped out down in Naples as a deacon um, and at the American uh, part of the Southern Command Naval Base. And so I had a chance to exercise my diaconal responsibilities, also to visit with American families in the parish there too, so I was able to connect. But I submitted my, my license thesis in um, May. My book, it was, I think, 82 pages. Not terribly long, because you're about 15 of those pages were the um, appendices as well as the bibliography. But my thesis was on uh, Isaiah chapter 52.13 through 53.12, which is the suffering servant song of Isaiah. Well, I thought nothing of it. Something pastorally focusing on suffering, uh, certainly the Lord being with us, and just tied it all in, that there is redemptive suffering. And thought nothing of it until things started rolling. And that is, I got a phone call uh, toward the end of March in indicating that the cardinal, at the time, actually wasn't a cardinal yet, Archbishop Maida, wanted to assign me to the Shrine of the Little Flower in Royal Oak. Now, St. Therese is known as the Little Flower. Again, I thought nothing about it. I'd never been in that church, but hey, that's great. I'll be happy to help out. It's got three schools, 3,600 families, and it's going to be a busy place. And um, Monsignor Brunette was the pastor there at the time. Well, about a month later, it was announced he became Bishop of Helena, Montana. So he left, and all of a sudden I had no pastor, which ended up being Archbishop Ninestead. He was rector of the seminary, he was finishing six years, and Archbishop, well, he was Monsignor Ninestead at the time, of course, and Bishop, Archbishop uh, Maida assigned him as pastor over at the Shrine Little Flower. And so, off I went to the Shrine Little Flower. Well, I discovered after I arrived there, the favorite scripture passage of St. Therese was the Suffering Servant Song. Moreover, she would pray it as a young woman. When, as her dad was suffering from dementia, uh, dementia, some people who suffer from dementia, their faces become contorted. Well, think of a young girl seeing her, face, her dad's face getting contorted. It scares her. She would pray that suffering servant song passage, and she would see her dad participating in the crucifixion of Jesus. A young lady. I mean, how many adults can, can make that sort of connection? Well, it so happened, of course, I was there for two years. Uh, a sidebar is that uh, at the Shrine of the Flower, there were four priests helping out there. Uh, three of us were um, resident priests, two associates and a pastor, and also a weekend associate. 
There must have been something in the water, something ecclesiastical in the water, or Episcopal, because the pastor became Archbishop Ninestead, one of the resident priests became Bishop Monforton, and the weekend associate became Bishop Murray of Youngstown. So three of the four became bishops. Uh, Archbishop Ninestead became bishop while he was there, auxiliary bishop as the pastor of the parish, and then eventually another priest came in, uh, Monsignor Bill Easton. But that's not it for St. Therese. While I began to learn more about her and I liked what I read, she had a special love for priests. She would write to a seminarian from time to time. She uh, somehow climbed into my heart just to see through the simplicity, the depth about her, sort of like Mother Teresa, the very depth of who she is and realizing how easily you and I can complicate our lives to the detriment of our own vocation or the detriment of recognizing Jesus. Think about it. When it comes to quiet contemplative prayer, there is not an app for that. It's basically sit down and shut up. That's the app, so to speak, and that's real life. Well, I returned to Rome, ended up using that scripture passage for my doctorate as I wrote on a number of things I was as Archbishop Neinstead was leaving to become the bishop of, or the auxiliary bishop in Detroit, I became uh, a student priest and ended up traveling to uh, Rome to work on my doctorate. Well, Cardinal Maida called me back after a couple of years and we had a chance, you know, certainly to uh, travel all across the world. Um, I was a secretary for seven years and that was, it began in 1998. Well, in 2003, my dad died, and he died of a long illness, cancer, prostate cancer. Uh, and that's when I found out that, you know, my dad's family came from Brittany, northern France. Liz is in northern France. Okay. Uh, more than that, uh, St. Therese died on September 30th, 1897. My dad died in 2003, September 30th. Go figure. That continues. 2005, Cardinal Maida figured he had enough of me as his secretary after seven years, and he named me the pastor at St. Therese of Lisieux Church, the only other St. Therese Church in the Archdiocese of Detroit. So I told the Cardinal I'm gonna have to retire from there. And he said, no, you're not. I said, well, I can become a Carmelite. He says, no, no, you're not doing that. You'll, you'll, you'll have to leave. Well, guess what? I left. <laughs> so I was there for 14 months, and then Cardinal might have called me again became me the, and made me the rector of the seminary. So I was the rector of the seminary, and I recognized after a few years that we were missing a statue. And one of my priest faculty members said, you know, resident priest, he said, you know, we have a lot of male statues here inside the chapel. We do have a Marian statue, but that's the only female one. So I had St. Therese statue made with the roses at her feet, and it's in the back of the chapel. If you ever go to Sacred Heart Major Seminary, in the back you have St. Philip Neri on one side, and you have St. Therese on the other, and the seminary is just flock to her. And they'll come, they'll, they'll kiss her foot. I, mean, I figure everything's gonna be shiny after about a couple of years with the guys visiting, but it really clicked with them, with St. Therese. Well, on, of all days, All Souls Day, Archbishop Vigran, who was the Archbishop at the time, indicated that 
my sixth year, after in my sixth year, I was going to become a pastor. And I was going to be the pastor over at St. Andrews in Rochester. And I thought, that's great. I mean, I, I, I mean it certainly broke my heart. I had a lot of things to do at the seminary still, but you realize you're, there is no exit or plan to, for, of departure. You do what you can until the Lord asks you to go somewhere else. And so I, I happily said, yes, I will, I will go to uh, St. Andrews. And on May 5th, uh, Cinco de Mayo, which also is my birthday, my 49th birthday, I became pastor of the parish. And then on the 13th of May, Archbishop Vigneron installed me. And then six weeks later, the Apostolic Nuncio called me on the phone and indicated that Pope Benedict wished for me to become the Bishop of Steubenville. What is my answer? So needless to say, that was a whirlwind, what occurred there. So I thought maybe St. Therese, at that point, she sort of became anonymous and left me off to some other seminarian who could use her. Because I coming to Steubenville, the Macca Heart of Mary, she is our patroness, and you're not going to replace Mary with somebody else. And it's not a good way to start your time as a bishop by changing the patron saint of a diocese, it's not, especially when it's Mary. So I thought, well, St. Therese, God bless you, and you know, certainly it's a, a blessing, even though, of course, she's acknowledged in my papal bull in perpetuity. And I have a relic of her in my office, as well as a picture of her as well. She was in an era that you know, black and white photos were becoming more and more commonplace. In November of 2012, uh, barely two months after I was ordained a bishop, I celebrated confirmations over at Holy Name, my first confirmations as a bishop. And there were morning mass on a Tuesday at seven o'clock, and a couple people came forward and the lady came first, and I said, what name do you choose? And she goes, St. Therese of Lisieux. So St. Therese hasn't left. Just to give you an idea that that's how they work. But it's a pilgrimage, and whatever we do when it comes to considering our vocation, we have to remember we are never alone. We know Jesus is always with us, but he, we also have the army of saints with us as well. So there's my story. Actually, I was asked to give my vocation story, and I gave my bishop's vocation story as well on top of that. And so here we are. Now I'm 50, of course. Another Cinco de Mayo occurred, and thank goodness no phone calls from the nuncio. I, my, my number's unlisted now, so for at least the next 25 years. I, actually, I, I do not resign until the age of 75. It was 70 in Detroit as a priest, but 75 as a bishop. So you guys got five more years out of me as well. But I'm um, grateful to be here. I just didn't realize I'd be a bishop longer than I was a pastor or a priest in Detroit. So that was 18 years, and it'll be 26 years um, here in Steubenville, God willing. Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.